Welcome to Bunny Hugs and Mental Health, the podcast that deals with all things mental health. We talk to professionals, survivors, and loved ones about their sometimes informative, sometimes uplifting, and sometimes tragic stories. I'm your host of the show, Todd Rennebaum, advocate, recovering addict, experienced sufferer of depression and anxiety, and author of the children's book, Sometimes Daddy Cries. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. I am your host, Todd Rennebaum. Thank you for tuning in for another great episode. Uh, This one is a long one. Um, Sometimes I just don't know what to cut out because it's all good. And so I just say, you know, well, whatever. I'll I'll leave it all in. And, you know, if you're listening to it on your way to work, maybe you have to finish it on your way home too. Uh, That's fine. That's fine. Uh, the reason it was so good was because my guest was so good. Her name is Desiree and she was in a car accident May 4th, 2018. And before the car accident, she was a dancer. She was in, uh, you know, drama and theater and stuff. And, uh, she, she pretty much mangled up her body pretty bad to the point that, uh, she had to learn how to walk again. So we talked to her about that. There was another person in the in the car and stuff, and it's you know, so it's a it gets a little dark at times, but it's also really fun because she, her, and I just hit it off really well. Uh, we talk all the time still on on Instagram, and I've even purchased a plant hanger thing that she made, and and she bought my book, so that's awesome. We, we've become friends now. Not not only did her body get a little mangled, but so did her brain. Uh, she has some brain injury and so, uh, you'll, you'll see throughout the episode that after reminder, what we're talking about at times, uh, she has really, uh, kind of messed up short-term memory. So that's something. And I actually, I, I, I found out about her because I listened to another podcast called this is actually happening. And she was a guest on there and I thought she was pretty charming and had an interesting story. So. I reached out and uh, that's how I found her. So a couple times she kind of mentions mentions another podcast and that's that's what she's talking about there. Now before we listen to that episode, I'll just quickly mention next week I'm speaking with a great guy named Steve. Steve is in recovery uh, and not only that, he's also saving people's lives. He's a, I can't remember his exact title, but he, he works in the hospital and he talks to young people. Um, with addiction issues and mental health issues and uh, he was actually um, you know at one time was living down in Hastings Street for those of you who don't know what Hastings Street is that's like Canada's like skid row Uh, lots and lots of drug use and drug overdoses and and homeless people and stuff Uh, that's in Vancouver Uh, and now he's clean and saving people and we actually met while I was in treatment, we were both in treatment together, and uh, yeah, so, oh, and he's also got a new book called Punks Not Dead, that's Punks, P-U-N-X, Not Dead, uh, you can find that on Amazon. But this week, we're going to listen to Desiree and about her horrible accident and her amazing new life, so without further ado, I give you Desiree. Yeah, so my my younger years were um, heavily uh, theater involved. I was always at the theater in my hometown, nearest hometown, and um, 
yeah, so I grew up on stage. Um, I was actually, I was quite sick as a child. Um, asthma was really bad. And so I started at a very young age, not attending school too much because I was just always sick. And so I just grew to not like school and I really liked staying at home more. So then in all of our, our many moves throughout all of my elementary school years and then, um, yeah, not high school years because we were in one place, but elementary schools, I went to so many, I think I went to five or six elementary schools um, from age six to 12, however old you are in grade eight. They and just kept uh, kicking you out? No. <laughs> that would be a really cool story. No, we just kept moving. So mm. I had to, all within like 20 minutes of each other, all of our moves, but there was just always a different school place. So yeah, I went to lots of different schools. And then I think that also helped shape me into the um i'm not a overly social person but i'm just i'd say i'm fairly good at talking to people and making people feel comfy and getting to know them and that kind of thing so i think all of those school changes really helped shape me into my personality the personality i have now um and uh, apart from the school stuff like family wise um yes i have two older brothers on my mom's side and then an older brother and older sister on my dad's side. And I was with my father much less than I was with my mom. And so I didn't see my siblings from his side um, too often as a kid, but my brothers on my mom's side, I was fairly close with. And um, there's quite a big age gap in between all of my siblings and myself, um, like 10 10 plus years or eight plus years all the way up to 15 or 16. Um, that's how the age difference between myself and my oldest sibling. But um, yeah, so although I had all of these four siblings, I they had all moved out by the time I, you know, really started to do my own thing. And so I very much felt like a single child and um so I spent a lot of time entertaining myself and talking to myself. I talked to myself so much. And yeah, so then um, when I started to become a person, my mom began working afternoons. Um, so from three till 10. And so she needed to find a place for me to uh, spend all of my time instead of just at home alone. And so I, that's when I started dancing very heavily. And then from grade seven to 12, I was at the dance studio most days of the week. Um, in high school is when depression kicked in and anxiety and all of that really fun stuff that make <laughs> growing up the the easiest thing in the world <laughs> um yeah i had no idea who i was or what i 
wanted to do or uh, it's just so confusing um and so from there on in like that's when my mental health began to get very poor and didn't really go to class but i went to dance class you wouldn't catch me dead missing a dance class um spent time in the um the psych ward oh you did yes i spent a a few days in the psych ward yeah because i was feeling very suicidal and so i the mom, like, I, I think that I'm going to do something really bad. So, um, you know, maybe we should, or she probably suggested it. If you're feeling very suicidal, let's do something that will hopefully save you. And so I spent a few days there, but then that was shit because <laughs> in the psych ward, um, you are just given a whole bunch of independent no not independence you don't have to do anything you just stay in a room and then you go out and you know you you mingle with the other people in the psych ward and then you sit down and you you color and you play games with other psych ward members and you're just it's complete solitude you're all alone and you have you don't have shit to do You know, you don't exactly have a full calendar or anything in the psych ward. And so I got, I started to really like that. And then, so then when I got out, um, my mental health just continued to go down since um, I, yeah, had experienced that. Yeah. So then after the psych ward. um, Just so you know, I, I spent some time in the psych ward myself. Oh, did and, you now? Uh, I I agree with you. <laughs> it was like, I was like, yeah, I, I remember waking up in the morning, like, so what am I supposed to be doing? I don't, I don't get yeah, it. Like, now that I look back on it and I've, you know, experienced it, like, what a dumb idea for if, you know, if, if someone is suicidal, send them to the psych ward. That's not going to have any positive impact on the situation <laughs> um, <laughs> at all. But I yeah, mean, so that, it keeps you safe from doing something, I guess you're under observation, yeah, but that's about it. That's about it. Exactly. Yeah. So then after the psych war, it just, it just continued. Um, my, my dance studio. And at this, I started teaching Uh, at a fairly uh, like age 15 and so then when I was 18 I was a dance teacher like just as heavy as I was a dance student and so I was spending even more time there now that I had two roles and also in the theater community was doing everything um, except going to school. (laughs) So so what what was the cause of your anxiety and depression in your teen years? Did, did, right. did they get to the bottom of it or was it just circumstantial? Um, looking back on it, I think I brought a lot of it onto myself because I just hated, I hated school. Mm. And so I think that in a way, in the back of my mind, I like, made myself 
depressed and anxious so that I didn't have to go to school. Mm, interesting. I think that could possibly be something. But And, um, and your family life was a little disarray because you're weren't with your dad very much and stuff, I guess, too. So it was just uncertainty, maybe. Yeah. And then I had these older siblings who, you know, by the time I was in high school, they had already started their families. Mm -hmm. And so I think just the pressure, I think, was back there of, you know, like they're, they've already begun their lives and they are they have careers that they are going to be staying in for most likely the rest of their lives. And they've got kids and they've built their own houses. So I have a lot to live up to. So I'd better get going. So I just felt such pressure. Mm, gotcha. And so I think, yeah, that played okay. a big role. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now yeah. you're, you're 18, you're teaching dance, you're dancing, you're in theater. Life seems to be a little better. You're enjoying that. Right. So everything, you know, I had found my hobbies and my interests and I was heavily involved in them. Um, yeah, but it was still just the mental health thing. I was so confused and sad and lost. And um, I was just trying to find myself and... I was doing that in really poor ways. Yeah. And I, I've, I've actually, I've talked to friends of mine and my mom who is aware of everything that has gone on in my life. And I've tried to figure out, pinpoint the exact time that I was introduced to cocaine. Mm. And I don't, I don't remember, but I started doing that a lot. I never... I was never um, under the influence. Now, hold on a second. Pause. Mm -hmm. Does because my brother questioned this. Does under the influence just mean alcohol? Because I didn't think so. I thought it meant any substance. I think it could mean anything too. Like you could be under the influence of alcohol. You could be under the influence of cocaine. You could be under yeah. the influence of a marijuana. Bad, yeah, you could be under the influence of yeah. a bad relationship right yeah okay yeah so um was unpause. I on, the, on pause <laughs> back up because i've forgotten what i was saying was i talking about this specific day or just talking about like where i was at the time of the accident uh you said you couldn't remember you couldn't remember pinpointing the first time you used cocaine. right right cocaine yes but I just started using it heavily. Um, but I never, ever allowed myself to use it while I was at dance. So I'm proud of that, that I never let that substance um, get me at that time, at my most special place. I never put those two together, which I really respect a lot. Mm -hmm. um, it, cause dance gave you natural dopamine. You didn't need to. Exactly. Natural yeah. highs. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, exactly. So when I was a dance, I was high without anything, but then it was when I was away from dance that I needed something else. 
And um, yeah, so I had begun to do that. And um, so now I'm up to the specific day. Okay. Yeah. So it was from what I've been told and from any like, I used to be a big Snapchat memory saver and I took a lot of pictures and stuff. So from what I can go back to and look at the videos and pictures taken on this day, it was a really lovely day. I went to a music conference with my music teacher mom in the morning and um, it was a lovely event with a whole bunch of ladies involved in the music community, like music teachers, um, that some of them hadn't seen me since I was like four and I was 18 now. And so it was like a big family reunion and just so much positivity and music, which is a ginormous part of my life. And so such a good day, but it was ridiculously windy. Mom recalls us, we were both wearing dresses and we had to put our dresses like in between our legs because <laughs> the wind was just blowing them. We were Marilyn Monroeing. <laughs> and um, yeah, so really windy. And then we finished the music conference, came back home, and then we were both involved in the theater. So she was directing a play for the, the sophomores. There was junior, sophomore, seniors. She was directing the sophomores. I was choreographing the, my junior show, which was Aladdin. And um, so, yeah, we went to the theater and we had our shows. And then right after my junior show, I left and I came home. Um, and my plan was to meet with my friend after I showered up. And so... While in the shower, um, our hydro went out. And I don't remember this. This is, like I said before, just what my mom has told me. But mid-shower, everything went dark. And so I finished the shower and I got ready. And then I guess there, there was a partially empty beer bottle on the counter at home. So I guess that this friend that I was meeting up with had had some beer. And then we took off and then apparently we drove into the nearest town and we tried to um, score a deal of Coke. And, um, but I guess apparently it, it fell through and we didn't end up making a purchase, but then we must've had some extra um, cocaine on our hands because um, yeah, we, then later on, it was discovered that we were high on cocaine and just our, our blood levels. And so then, yeah, we made the deal that I guess fell through um, and then began to drive home. And we were five minutes away from home and we were doing a ridiculous speed, like I want to say 160, 170 kilometers an hour. Uh, ran through a stop sign and a car that was coming the um, what's that word kind of perpendicular to you yes the car that was coming perpendicularly to us <laughs> <clears throat> collided obviously because we didn't stop and um, 
So his car burst into flames. Um, he was able to get out of his car. Our car, on the other hand, rolled into a freshly planted field, a very dirty one, um, at least three times. Um, the driver, I was in the passenger seat. The driver was ejected through the sunroof. And then I was in the passenger seat with my feet up on the dash and my dog in my lap. And so in our many rolls, um, my feet were put up over my head, which I can thank my dance career for that because since I was very flexible, I was able to do that, but they were over my head and twisted the wrong way. So we're not sure how my hips are a thing right now, but um, yeah, and my dog Mo had protected my face. Um, and so I have very minimal scratches on my face from all of the stuff that was in the car. Um, my left arm, which is still something that I don't quite understand because if I was a passenger, it would make sense if my right arm was really injured because that was closest to the outside. But somehow left arm was really injured. And um, yes, so much so that it was, uh, it was barely holding on. Um, yes, it's, it's quite bad. Um, and although that the people who listen to this won't be able to see, would you like to see my very mangled arm? Sure. It's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, it was uh, very, <laughs> very broken. And then that line that you see here yeah. is because I have a plate in my arm from here up to here. A like a, a, a 12, 10 hole plate. Yeah. Cool. So you're but cyborg. I am. Yeah, I am. I am that. But... Um, when I walk through the airport security, mm -hmm. uh, I don't set them off. So that's good. So travel isn't an issue. <laughs> so you're cog incognito cyborg. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Okay. So um, would you mind leading me uh, as to where I was, where mm -hmm. I finished? Okay. okay. So you were talking about mid-accident and and how uh, your legs were flipped and your ar your left arm was very damaged. Right. Um, yes. And yes. Yeah, so apparently, um, oh, so two of my three older brothers are firefighters. Uh, one being a chief, almost a chief, and one being a captain. So that's really cool. But um, I took a female firefighter training day when I was like 15 and I got to see them use the jaws of life to open a car and so i guess that the jaws of life were used to get me out but before they could get me out um, one of the paramedics was tiny enough to climb into the back seat and um, register an iv because my pulse was like stupid low hmm. uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know the numbers, but your your pulse is supposed to be a a certain number, and mine just so many numbers lower. Um, it was 
it was bad. But since she was a little person, she was able to climb back there and start to save me. So then they used the jaws of life to get me out. And then they um, put me in the ambulance and took me to the, le- the nearest city hospital. Oh, but, were your brothers uh, on the scene? Oh, right. So, no. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, they um, they don't work for the the nearest town. They don't work for that fire station. Well, one does, but he just, he wasn't on that night. Um, yeah, which I'm very thankful for now that I've had time to think about it. Um, because I can't imagine how that would affect them. Um so yeah, they took me to the nearest city hospital. Yeah, so doctors at that hospital had said like we uh we aren't equipped enough to handle her injuries, her many injuries. So uh like we can take her, but not saying that we could save her. So then they took me to the next nearest city, which was London, Ontario, and so then I was, yeah, taken to St. Joe's Hospital. Wrong. Error. I was taken to Victoria <laughs> Hospital in London. There's just so many hospitals. Uh, Victoria. <laughs> and then I was on the surgical table for many hours. And I never get this right. But I'm... Uh, Five and a half hours, I'm going to say. Five, five and a half. Sure. Um, we don't know yeah. any better, so you can tell right. us anything. So it's right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and then, so by this time, by the time I got out of uh, the surgery room, um, my mom and my brothers and my close friends, no, just my mom and my brothers were there, I believe. I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't around. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, the head surgeon, uh, Dr. King, who I have become close with. And I uh, just not too long ago at the end of the summer, I went to an appreciation, um, a fundraiser where he was at. And I had a beer with him and we swapped cell phone numbers and he is literally my God, you know, for saving my life and all. So that was just ginormous. But he came out of the surgery room and he said to my mom and brothers, she is very, very broken. But we did the best we could. We managed to put her back together, kind of. So let's see how this goes. You know what I forgot to ask? Yes. How long ago was this? <laughs> oh, good question. Okay, the basics. So I am 23 now. Okay. Uh, my accident was in 2018 when I was 18. Gotcha. Okay. 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 Now good? Okay. So the doctor came in, said you're broken. Yes. Very, very broken. <laughs> and so I was put into a medically induced coma. Um in order to begin my very long road of recovery, if I survived. Um, I was, they didn't know how much 
damage my brain had sustained. So I was brain damaged for a bit. Um, but then they finally, after testing, they could finally um, say that I was just brain injured instead of brain damaged. Uh, and so I was upgraded, which awesome. Um, but they kept me in a medically induced coma for 21 days. And then they could, they finally felt that they could start to take me out of it. Um, during those 21 days, my limbs were threatened to be amputated. Um, my left leg and right leg, and then my left arm, which had been almost taken off. Um, the only, the only limbs um, I didn't have any amputated limbs. The only amputated digits uh, that were taken from me were some of my toes on my left foot. Um, but I was able to keep everything else, which is remarkable. So, um, yes, they took me out of the coma. And that is when the hardest part of all of this began mm -hmm. and, um, for you. Yeah. For me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. For me. Yes. It was a, an absolute joy for my mom knowing that her daughter was going to live. She had, she tells me, um, she was wonderful. And during this whole hospital experience, she was the most positive person, um, in the whole world you'll ever meet um she created on facebook she finally after like a few days after my accident my brothers had said to her okay mom um people are saying that desiree is dead so i think that it would be a really good idea to just let people know that she is alive um and in the hospital and she is being cared for and so she started that and then she got a lot of supportive feedback obviously and so from then on she began to update everyone because they were begging to be updated on my recovery and so this little facebook world community that she had built um she, during this they, they yeah they began to be called her she began to call them her Ford Army because our last name is Ford. Mm. They were her Ford Army. So my mom built this lovely community of people, of Facebook people who were rooting me on and they just wanted to know of, of my progress because they wanted to pray for me and do all of the things that are needed for a, like a, um, a, you know what do you what do you call that a recovery that's just completely based off of energy mm -hmm. and so yeah mom started the ford army and so she started um posting every night during my recovery and keeping people up to date and updated what happened today big huge leaps uh that happened on each day and yeah, just to keep everyone in touch with my recovery. So they the army. They take you out of the coma. Yes. They take me out of the coma. And so then I was transported to 
the nearest hospital in the city closest to me <clears throat> that I was turned away from because they weren't medically equipped enough to handle my injuries. Um, so yeah, I got there and then the hardest part of my life or the, hold on, let me phrase this better. Um, and then I began the hardest work I have ever done in my life. And so, and that was just, I had lost everything. Um, thank goodness I hadn't lost my speech um, because I know that that is a thing. And I hadn't lost the ability to like open my eyes. Like I was, I was very, very lucky with the brain injury that I sustained and it was all in my frontal lobe, um, which the frontal lobe controls a lot of movement and just thought. And so it's, it's very lucky that I was able to um, do what I did um, with how much my brain was injured. But yeah, so then I started to learn how to um, sit up and then came the task of learning how to bend my knees because I was not able to do that since my legs had been so, so, so hurt. Um, I couldn't bend my knees even, okay, this, this is going to be YouTube, right? Uh, eventually, yes. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> so like the most I could bend my knee was like, hold on, like that, hmm. maybe that, not at all. I wasn't right. able to bend. Um, Sorry, I'm going to interrupt for a sec. Okay, yep. Um, was it when you came out of the, the coma that you first heard about what happened to the driver and your dog? Right, so, uh, right, so um, when we were transferred to Woodstock Hospital and when I started to really get going physically and then my brain kind of, um, my mom being the wonderful person that she was, um, I would wake up every morning and I would say to my mom, you know, like, hey mom. And apparently I was just the cutest ever because I would every morning I'd start with, hi mom. And I just, because I couldn't believe that, oh my gosh, my mom is right there. Because I didn't know where the hell I was. You and, can swear. Uh, where the fuck I was. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she, uh, she got tired of explaining what had happened to me and where I was and what we were doing and why I was laying down. <clears throat> and so, yeah, she got tired of that. And so her Ford Army, no. And then she corrected me on this because I had said on my podcast with this is actually happening. Um, she had been, the form, the Ford Army had gifted her <clears throat> a lot of things after they heard about my accident. Like at the beginning, um, when we were, when she was just living um, in my hospital room in a chair and a cot, um, the Ford Army provided a lot of food and any you know blankets 
and water and lots of like pops and juices. Um, oh, uh oh, I've lost. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I asked about the driver and your dog, and your and then you were gonna talk about the whiteboards. Right, right the whiteboards. So yes, we had um, every time I'd wake up, and, and then every approximately 30 seconds i would say mom what happened um where are we what are we doing here because i couldn't remember shit and i had no idea what was going on and so she took the whiteboards and she began to write down a very here's that word again synopsonized no sure. that's the word that i used in the this is actually happening podcast <laughs> and I laugh so hard a because synopsis? that's not a word. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So she made a synopsis, <laughs> right? It just flows out of the mouth. She made a synopsis <laughs> of what had happened to me because she was getting tired of saying the same thing over and over again. <clears throat> so from left to right, it was, we are in Woodstock Hospital. You are... You were in a tragic car accident with so-and-so and your dog. Both your dog and so-and-so passed away. Um, you are in Woodstock Hospital. Uh, you have all of the support you need and are getting the best care possible. I am, I, your mom, am right here with you and we can do this. We are going to do this together. And so it was basically just yeah, letting me know what had happened. And so I would just consistently read from right to left and then back again and then back again. Because by the time I got to the end, I would forget what I just wrote, what I just read. And mm. um, that must have been heartbreaking for your mom to see you learn that your dog and your friend passed away every morning, maybe several times a day, even. Yeah. Yeah. And, for of qu quite some time, I didn't know who my dog and my friend were. Oh. I couldn't remember. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so that's a blessing in disguise in a way. Oh, big time. Big time. Yeah, that was, that would have been before my brain. And it just goes to show how much our brains are so fucking powerful. And so I wasn't remembering those things just in order to protect me. And there are things that I, we're almost, we're coming up to five years, we're four and a half years post, and I still don't remember stuff. And that's my brain protecting me. Because if I were to remember details, it would send me down such a big spiral. Uh, yeah. But okay, where were we? Um, the whiteboards, I guess. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so just briefly, that's better than synopsizing. <laughs> <laughs> briefly explaining what had happened and what is going on right now. And so, yeah, I, I, I couldn't remember the driver or my dog. Um, but then I, yeah, started to learn physical gains and that was reaching reaching for things that's what we started with 
And then, you know, we would, we slowly moved from sit to stand, which was huge with knees that can't bend because like, you don't really think about it, but you can't do a whole lot if you can't bend your knees. And so sit to stand was a chore because that's very difficult to do with knees that don't bend. Um, and then after stand, oh, no, no, no. We did sitting up and after reaching, then we moved on to scooching, just scooching your bum over and, and then sit to stand. And then the hardest part, walking with knees that don't bend and having no gait because I had been lying for 21 days. And so all of my muscles had totally atrophied and I had no strength whatsoever. So learning to walk. Yeah. And learning just everything, everything physical. I'd say Woodstock hospital was mainly where I learned the most physical things. Hmm. And <laughs> it was probably the toughest mentally. So at, at that point, um, I guess. Right. At that point. But I don't have a lot of memories from Woodstock. I remember the, my physio team was killer. They were the best part of my recovery. Well, they were the best part of that hospital um, because they were joking and, you know, I have, I have a sense of humor. And so they would, you know, match up to my sense of humor and <laughs> there would always be music playing and like we just it was fun it was so much fun um and so yeah they they made me very happy because as much as I didn't know anything um they gave me really positive vibes and yeah so that hospital experience was amazing and then came the next hospital, um, which was the opposite. Oh. Is not amazing. And just for like the the biggest bad part of that was um just the staff and how they were not fun and they didn't have a, any sense of humors and they just mm, Sounds like the psych ward again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, at this hospital, you know, my brain is waking up more and more. So I am, you know, forming a personality again. And I am remembering more and more things. And I am realizing, you know, what has gone on and what is happening. And I'm, you know, I'm starting to... Um, I am starting to also, do I seem Italian with how much my hands are moving? Because <laughs> I use my hands so much and I'm not Italian. Um, um, but yeah. So That's racist. <laughs> no, Easy. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> because of the lack of fun that this hospital was, I began to get very dark my mental state began to go really downhill at this hospital were you still working on physical stuff or why, why'd you change hospitals 
Um, right. So, so yes, great question. This hospital change was like, so Woodstock Hospital was where I did the, you know, the basic stuff. And then it was supposed to be move on to Parkwood Hospital, which is uh, Parkwood Rehabilitation. And so that was going to be my last stop before home. So it was Woodstock, Parkwood, home. Um, does that does that answer your question? <laughs> it does, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so Parkwood. Um, I made some physical gains, but um, due to the accident, I have had 25 surgeries. Damn. So, yeah, because of all of these surgeries, um, my hair started to fall out like crazy from all of the anesthetic. Hmm. And Who knew? Yeah, exactly. So my mom being the kick-ass mom she is, um, we decided that it, it was probably better off if we just shaved my head and start from scratch. And so we went to one of my brother's places and um, he sat me down and he buzzed my hair off. And then, you know, I stood up and I was feeling like shit, obviously. Because like, what else, what else bad can happen to me? I've been in a car accident. I've lost people. I've, you know, lost all of my abilities. I can't dance anymore. I'm fat. Um, I'm bald. And then, you know, throw on top of that, my, from my brain injury, my vision had been affected. So I saw I was seeing double. So like everything bad I felt that everything bad that can happen is happening. And now I'm bald. And um, so I stood up and then my mom sat in the seat where I had just been sitting. And she said to my brother, my turn. Aww. So my mom and I were baldies together. Aww. Did that help? And, Was that, that support? Um, well, see, and now she says that she thought that that would be a great support. Um, method but then bec because of my short-term memory every time i looked at her i was reminded oh yeah fuck <laughs> I, have a, I have a bald head too and so she you know she she really thinks that oh, okay maybe that wasn't the best decision now because at least with my short-term memory if she hadn't have done that i would have just forgotten that my head was shaved right. so thought, you know it's up Oh, no. <laughs> thanks for the reminder, mom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it so, is incredibly sweet of her to do that. That's. Oh, yeah. She is. Yeah. So then I'll, I'll, I'll take a second and just go to my mom um, now. So at the beginning of my accident, she was the best person that could ever be. And then now when we, when we had returned home and shaved her heads, she was, she continued to be the best person she could possibly be. And she has been so remarkable with um, um, adjusting things to make it easier for my injured brain to understand stuff. And so she has been, oh, so, so good with that. Hmm. Um, Do you mind me asking about, about your dad? Oh. Right. Yeah. So. Because he kind of came back, right? He came back into your oh, life as you were. 
right, when you were in the yeah. hospital so and stuff? Our relationship had ended uh, before the accident because I didn't like him and mm-hmm. uh, not exactly a supportive and loving father. Um, so, yeah, I had ended the relationship. But then once my accident happened, he obviously had to be told and so then that brought him back into my life and um he you know came and visited obviously while i was in the coma and then when i woke up and so he would come like once um, once a week um to visit me while i was healing and then slowly as my brain began to wake up and get back to because it went from all of my stages from the early stages all the way up to being 18 and me remembering oh yeah shit i fucking hate this guy <laughs> i and then i said this in my last podcast but it was cut out um like not even a year before the accident i had gone and egged his house because i that's just how much i respected him i didn't give a fuck I think you did say it in the other podcast. Really? Okay. I think um, so. Yeah, I gone and egged his house, and I loved it. And then I came <laughs> home, and I told my mom, I went and egged dad's house. And she said, are you ready for this? She said, oh, what a waste of eggs. <laughs> <laughs> so. Bless yes, him. None, nonetheless, <laughs> I um, realized quite quickly that I don't like my dad. And um, so then when we finally were able to come home, it was not after he never came and visited me when we were at home. Um, I just, I texted him. I said, Hey, no, I said, I didn't, I didn't even say hi. I just said, I am not interested in um, seeing you anymore. Uh, so if, and if you attempt to contact me or come to my house, the police will be notified. I just kept it really straight, really straightforward, simple to the point, And I didn't get a response. And that was, um, yeah, that was, that was that. And so I didn't see him for quite some time, a long time, years. So we're at home now and my law team had put together an incredible rehabilitation team for me. Um, they had gotten to know me and then found people who, you know, had similar personalities. And so my team was so awesome, specifically my hand therapist um, and then my physiotherapist and my rehab therapist one of the three, my rehab therapist, who I still see, but oh my goodness, what, what wonderful matches they made. Um, yeah. So then we, we got home and I then had a lot of therapies. My schedule was quite hectic. Um, because balancing all of these therapies plus the rest that an injured brain needs um, was we had to be really strict on it. And so, yeah, I, I had full weeks hmm. and days of therapies 
And any, any kind of like mental therapy, like a um, like a counselor or a therapist, you know. So, I had a counselor, um, but she was young and beautiful. That sounds pretty good. Well, uh, that was the the, the absolute <clears throat> opposite thing that I was feeling. Ah. And so I didn't like that. And no offense to her at all, because this is how she learned. But <clears throat> in school, because she was pretty fresh out of like school, um, she had just learned to counsel people off of paper. Right. Right. right and yeah. so she would just give me these sheets of paper to fill out. And that didn't make me feel better. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't <laughs> the emotions that I was feeling. So, um, yes, I had a counselor, but she didn't do much and she wasn't around for long. Hmm. Um, Did you get a yeah. different counselor? You're like, give me someone um, ugly. Please. <laughs> so I can relate. <laughs> oh, come on. Very mean. <laughs> That's very mean. But to myself and the other person and this <laughs> other imaginary person that we have created. <laughs> um, after she left, no, I, I didn't really have anything going on with counseling, but it kind of was okay because my rehab therapist who has harsh, no, harshly, largely, significantly worked memory. Um, she was, she pretty much played a counselor. So she was like a two in one. Right. Um, like a bartender. Yeah. Precisely. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would share my feelings with her and she would help me through them. And um, and yeah, so she's the only therapist I still see out of everyone. And so, yeah, we are we are so tight. Like sh we are oh, we're we're good. We're good buds. And um, yeah. And so from what she can recall, because every now and then we'll we'll go back and we'll talk about you know at the very beginning when she started working with me and she just can't believe the change when she met me at dumb parkwood hospital um when i met my whole team we were all sitting around a table uh which she comments of how that was a really poor decision on parkwood's part sitting us all around a table all of my team members looking at me and could already tell that I had the lowest self-esteem possible because I had my hood up and I was, you know, crouched down, my shoulders were here. So that's, that's what I needed. 12 people looking at me and criticizing me and getting to know me. So, but yeah, she, she says how just the difference between who I was then and who I am now, night and day difference. Do, do you feel more like your, your old self now? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, and I've gotten feedback from people who were close to me before, such as my mom, for example, and my siblings. Mm -hmm. And they say that, you know, you're, you're pretty much back to normal, but you're just better. Oh. Yeah. And I completely agree. Although... It took me quite some time to realize 
that I am the new and improved Desiree. Um, yeah, I completely and utterly and fully agree. I, um, yeah, yes, I feel like a much better person. How so? Uh, definitely with having to go through my experience, I am now much more aware of how powerful the brain is. And so you have no idea what everyone's story is mm. just based on the brain. And then not to mention how my entire body is scarred except for the back of me. And so when I'm in winter clothes and all of my limbs are covered, you don't see anything. And so a stranger's point of view can look at me and I look completely regular. It doesn't look like I was in a traumatic, um, uh, what's, what's a, hmm. Hmm. a traumatic event. Yeah. Experience. Sure. Experience. Yeah, That's better. A, a life threatening experience. Um, yeah. People can't tell because I just, you know, when my scars are covered, I just, I'm, I seem totally normal, normal. So I have learned big time that you don't have a fucking clue what's no, going on. No swearing. No, I'm kidding. You don't have a freaking clue. No, no I like swearing better. I'm sorry. <laughs> what's going on in ev anyone's life. So you're more patient yeah. and empathetic with others? Yes. Yeah. And my, my mom said a lot that especially when I was in the hospital, um, you're, you, you know, you're, she would compliment me. You're being such a patient patient <laughs> because I was a patient and I was being a patient one. And <laughs> yeah, so I've definitely learned patience big time, which has been a blessing and a curse throughout these almost four years, five years, because as much as it, fucking sucks to wait for things to happen they will happen mm. you just have to be patient <laughs> <laughs> yeah. progress baby progress yes it, it could be slow but it's still progress it's there it's there yeah um, so then another way that i have progressed um <laughs> hmm do you still love cocaine? <laughs> Great question. Um, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't think so. I, that was the I last time you used? I, did, I didn't come right back home and start sniffing that blow again. Um, it was in the hospital. Going, going down the slopes. <laughs> right. Chasing that dragon. Yeah. No. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get back to that. But there were things. There thoughts of oh. there was specifically not thoughts of doing it mm -hmm. but there were thoughts of well shit i wonder if when i get home there will be some hidden somewhere oh interesting yeah yeah and so i haven't found any hidden little dime bags right is that what they're called um, uh, um yeah. i think i don't know <laughs> i never did cocaine Right. Well, good for you. You shouldn't. 
uh, I loved marijuana. Right. And that was dime bags were a marijuana thing, but eight balls. Oh, I know eight balls. Eight was balls. A thing. Eight balls. Yes. Oh, okay. I had accidentally. So at the time before the accident, my best friend um, had a specific. Um, I don't know if I should name things. Like, can I name people? If you want. First name. I don't know. You give them right. a different name. Whatever yeah. you want. Okay. Well, look, Joe. I okay. was, I just, you know, when I was uh, looking for a high, obviously, I texted my best friend, Joe, and was like, hey, um, and then what did you just say? Like a, a, a eight ball? Uh, an eight ball? Yeah. I said, uh, hey, I'm, I want to get an eight ball or maybe, hey, I just got an eight ball, but I mentioned eight ball. And so I had sent that text to Dave whatever we just meant we definitely just came up with joe but joe but i had two joes in my phone so i had my best friend joe and then my mom's friend joe and so i had mistakenly texted mom's friend joe asking about this eight ball embarrassing he answered back and was like desiree i think you have the wrong number and then I figured it out. Oh my God, that's the wrong Joe. And so I said, oh, hee hee, whoops. And then I came up with a stupid <laughs> excuse. We're playing I pool. I tried to hide. Yeah, we're playing, <laughs> we're just playing pool. And, um, but he knew what was going on. And so where, and where was I? Uh, we're talking about eight balls. <laughs> right. Eight balls. Yeah. So um, the, did Joe show your mom the text that was like, uh, like after the accident it was like, uh, I think she was using cocaine that night. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think so. I think so. And okay. then when the blood tests came back, right, um, right. that's when it was confirmed. I don't know if that's where you were going with the story, but we were talking about eight, eight balls. doesn't matter. Right. Okay. Not golf. <laughs> Or, or pool. Or, or pool. <laughs> a sport. A sport. You'd, you'd break your club on an eight ball, I think. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. What's so, next? So I, I'm wondering, how how did it feel knowing like your your passion was dance and theater, and now like that's just completely not a thing anymore? It, was that? How, how so, hard was that to accept? It took me years to accept. Um, it was, I, once I understood what had happened and what my life was currently enduring, um, it felt like life had taken the biggest, nasty, nastiest, stinkiest shit on me. Oof. I, I literally felt like my, entire world had been destroyed um and for good reason like at the time i wasn't able to walk to the bathroom without being with someone and so uh, yeah it was just it was so so bad um wait hold on a second let me go back and remember the fucking question you asked me <laughs> <laughs> um want a hint Yes, please. 
accepting no dance? Oh, yes. Yes. So that took a while. Um, and for quite some time, I wasn't able to watch from the the many years that I was at dance. Um, we had recital DVDs that you could purchase. And so I have everything from like 2013 to 2018. Uh, and then I even have before 2013, but just in a different format. Um, and I couldn't, I didn't dare watch those. Or I think I did once because I just, I just wanted to feel some sort of, I wanted to get some sort of proof of who I was before. And so I watched a dance recital and it made me feel like absolute shit because I was just witnessing with my very own eyes that that is something that you will never be able to do again. It's like grieving. That is, that is exactly like it's, it's, it was like losing someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With something that was such a huge and ginormous part of my life you'll never be able to do it again, but you can, you can like watch and appreciate the past, but you won't do it. And so that just destroyed me because of how much I remembered that dance had allowed me to breathe. It had been the best, it had been the best um, therapy mm -hmm. for me, for my mental state. And I couldn't fucking do that anymore. So, yeah, things were very, very bad. Mom um, says now that, you know, during that time, she was, she very much feared for my life. Um, in the car when we were driving, do therapy, probably, because that's the only thing we did. I did. Um, she, there were many times where she, was concerned about me just opening the door and throwing myself out. And then there were also times where I was walking down our 15 stairs. Um, we're on the top floor in our kitchen and to get out of the house is downstairs. And so walking down the 15 stairs, which took a while to learn how to do stairs. Um, I would think um, not the opposite of rarely, I often. would think regularly, yeah, mm. often, of what would happen if I just fell? Mm. What would happen? Would, could I potentially, possibly, would that do me in? And then I thought, you silly fuck. You survived a brutal, catastrophic car accident. I don't think 15 stairs are going to do the job. <laughs> and so I was so... You're indestructible. <laughs> yeah, fuck. Um, yeah, you're no, so... you're no Wolverine, though. And I don't even know. I'm not a Marvel person. Oh. Well, he heals yeah. super quick. Oh, like within seconds? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not that good. Have you, um, have you tried but... dancing again? Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, so since, 
my mobility. Wait, okay, hold on. Sure. Can I get there? Can I keep going? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Then things proceeded and I continued to heal. Um, And then, okay, so then hold on. I will, yeah, should I go? Yeah, I'll go into my first relationship. So I didn't begin a relationship. I didn't have a relationship until after my accident. Um, um, Yeah, so this first relationship that I had was with my best friend before the accident, Dave, or that fake name we came up with. Joe? Joe, yes, Joe. (laughs) Do you prefer Joe over Dave? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Joe. Okay, I'll stick with Joe. Okay, fine. Maybe maybe it'll switch to Dave. Let's see. (laughs) Uh, So I just, yeah, we hopped back into this friendship that we had had that was now blossoming into a relationship. Wait, was he your dealer? No, no, but we did do it together. Like, oh, okay, because you texted him about an eight ball. Right. Yeah. So we were best friends. And so I was texting oh, okay. to let him know, hey, I got an eight ball for tonight when we oh, hang out. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yes. Okay. Good memory. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <Fucking> Not really. <laughs> Rob, whatever his name is. Um, <laughs> Joe. Joe. God! <laughs> what is it? <laughs> really, Joe isn't sticking with me. After the accident, when he was being, when he was a very crucial part of my healing, um, he would come to the hospital every day because um, he had fallen. He was in love with me because I was that typical high school girl who would just tease the absolute shit out of male friends so that they started. I didn't do it on purpose, but just male people would or female, whoever would be interested in me and then I would feel it I would be like oh they're they're digging me and then um, being the person that I was who couldn't didn't want to commit to a relationship because I was just too busy fucking people I was having way too much fun fucking everyone and so I was like you know what um no I'm not gonna let them be into me but I will tease them (laughs) I was that person uh uh yeah, the relationship began and, you know, it was at first, it was really, really lovely because he was obviously still very much in love with me. And so he would regularly come to my house to hang out with me and just be around me. He also continued to progress in his life. So he finished, he graduated from college and then he You know, he started, he went and rented a place with his buddies, and then he rented another place with his buddies. And so he was um, continuing to move on in life, as you should, if you are a two-year-old. And and then with me, once my self-hate began, that is when everything else just, just got darker. Um, because once I realized that, okay, I don't look anything like I did before. I am not a hot person. 
anymore. I am bald and fat and I have glasses because I can't see properly. And so I just started to feel really, really down on myself. And so then I would project those feelings onto Rob and Rob didn't Dave. Joe. I project those feelings onto Tim. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe wouldn't really know how to comfort me, obviously, because, you know, and like we'll we'll cut Joe some slack. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's hard to make a brain injured person feel better if you don't know how the fuck brain injury works Mm -hmm. and so just yeah as time went on i began to recall that okay um this relationship is not returning to what it once was um you know we we used to just have so much fun and just fuck around and just be stupid people and with my very physical body, I was able to do more things and just, you know, have fun. And I was not able to do any of this anymore. And so Joe and I are just not good. Whenever he is around me, which is becoming less and less because he is clearly not enjoying the time spent with me, as you know, because every time we are around each other, I am just reminded of the best friends that we once were and how we are not that anymore. So I would just be really, really down. And then because I was really, really down, he started to not be interested in hanging out with me because I was just a Debbie Downer, a Desiree Downer. (laughs) And so, yeah, I began to, even though we were 10 minutes apart driving wise, like I would see him like once or twice a week and um, which is not typical for a young and thriving relationship. And so things just continued to just not get better. So he invited me over to his house one day. And so mom dropped me off and yeah, he had also when he had rented places with his buddies at this point, he had um, purchased his own house and which really good for him at 21 or 22 and the housing right now, um, he had got his own house with buddies and he was living with friends. Yeah. So he drove to my house or no, I drove to his because he, he had gotten to the point where he wasn't going to drive to me because he wasn't willing to put in time or money um, into me. So I, mom dropped me off at his place and I, we went up to his room and he just very, lightly and kindly told me how he had fallen in love with the des with the Desiree that I was before his best friend who was reckless and um, would do anything just on the spot and that's who he had fallen in love with and after my accident and as time had gone by he had really grown into another into his own person naturally as i had grown into my own person after my accident and he was no longer in love with me he was no longer in love like he used to be with me and so you know it was was that heartbreaking a day for a day 
ish. Because you forgot? We. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> would have been hilarious. But no, my brain at this point was was too too good to forget that quickly. Okay. But yeah, so my mom picked me up. We drove home. I cried for a bit. Um, and then the next day, I had a session with my rehab therapist, my best friend. And um, she just, or maybe the next day I had a session with her. Or maybe I figured it out on my own. Or, and then mom also talked to me a lot about it. But we just really got down to business. And we looked at this whole situation and realized that Dave. Joe. Joe! <laughs> Joe hadn't been a very positive part of my life as I am growing into this new person that I have become since the accident. And he is, he was holding me back because he was attempting or he was, he was um, hoping that I would just return to who I once was. But that's not possible. That is no longer, that stopped on May 4th, 2018. And so, you know, in the end, this is actually not bad that this relationship ended. And so it was after we figured that out and I figured that out that I just fucking flew. I just soared. And even like my rehab therapist, now she's coming into this. She even the next day or two days after this happened, she could not believe how much I had changed, how much my personality had blossomed because I was no longer in stuck in this situation of the Desiree I am now and the Desiree that I was before. And so I just, yeah. So then, so that happened. And that that's, was one of the best parts of my recovery. Yeah. That's amazing. That's, uh, mm -hmm. That's good attitude. Way, way to sit and work it out and then mm -hmm. be like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I have no words about, I do, but I can't put it into words. <laughs> yeah, I get it. So, and then I, I mentioned how COVID had, did I, oh, I haven't mentioned this because just the time. Okay. So then. This is going to be the longest episode ever. Yes. A little bit before the breakup, um, COVID had hit. And so that meant my physical therapy and my arm physio had stopped. And, um, what? Yeah. They're like, Oh, because there's, there's a cold going around. So you, you can't have physiotherapy anymore. Well, yeah. Yes. At the time, that's what my mom says. It's a, it's a cold. Um, but yeah, when I mean, I took it more serious than that, but still like, it's still, it's like, well, so, so the whole, so nobody yeah, gets any kind of was help. Shut down. Yes. No nobody, no matter how broken and damaged you are, you just have to just wait or figure it out on your own. Um, but yeah, so once once COVID hit, that is when my therapies had um, ended. I was still seeing my hand therapist, but my physiotherapist, nothing. 
Um, and then my rehab therapist was virtual. And so my mom and I had, we, our neighbor is a pilot and has a runway on his property. And it, we live out in the farm, um, so country. And so we would walk around his airstrip and we were just doing that every day to try and make up for the physio that I was missing out on now. And so that helped loads because of this uneven ground that we were walking on. And I went from heavily relying on my mom for support um, and stability to after we had done it so much, we were just holding hands, not because I needed the support, but just because I wanted to hold my mom's hand. And so that's how COVID really like um, shaped my recovery in quite a, quite a positive way. Hmm. So COVID, you're not so bad after all, but <laughs> for every other reason, yeah, you suck. Okay. Now, have now, you tried dancing again? Dancing. When did you first ask that question? It was a while ago. Approximately half an hour ago. About that. <laughs> yeah. But that's okay. I'm, I'm also to blame. It's right. I, yeah. I'll ask someone a question and then walk away quite yeah. often. So it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot to ask a question. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So dancing. Um, my first opportunity given where I had an opportunity to not dance again. Oh, oh, hold on. Okay. Uh oh. Uh -oh. So it was the recital of the year. No. Just make something up. So the recital of 2018, which would have been like 18 days after my accident, um, there was a lovely number that was um, that was performed by older students of mine. And it was kind of like a number just totally focused on me. So it was really cute. Dedicated. I don't know. Dedicated to me. Thank you. I don't know how they did this. Probably my mom sent um, a video, but they had, mom had gone through my phone and found a video of, uh, that I had recorded of myself dancing in the studio. And so they had played it on the backs, the mm, like projected, projected it. it onto oh. the back of the stage. Oh man, and I'm tearing so up. That's me, beautiful. It was me dancing. Yeah. And then these older senior dancers would come on and they were dancing. And due to my accident, there had been t-shirts made um for me in support of me that had a silhouette of a dance jump that had been taken of me on the beach a silhouette of my dance jump here and then on the back it said do it for dance hmm. and so that was a beautiful thing that is still well known do it for dance uh so many people had these t-shirts um hashtag so yeah hashtag do it for dance so that was the recital that had that was right after my accident. Then the next year, I had progressed so much physically that I was in the recital uh, oh. of 2019. Yeah, it was basically, I just, I actually just watched it yesterday. I watched this yesterday. Um, 
And the number was basically like my recovery in a nutshell. So like I started out on a plinth laying down and then I learned to move my right arm since that was the first limb that I could move. And then I learned to sit up and scooch and bend my knees and then stand. And then I began to learn to walk and not walk with my hips because I started to be able to bend my knees. And so it was a really nice number. And wipe your bum? We didn't go to that or where I would shit myself. Oh. We, didn't, <laughs> we didn't. We didn't go there. That's a different <laughs> dance number. Yeah, that's a different one. On um, R-rated. You had to be 18 plus to see that one. <laughs> you pay a lot more for that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah I'm such so an a idiot. Lovely, a lovely dance number. That you um, choreographed. I didn't choreograph it. My dance teacher choreographed it. But I was I was in. And then I got to also choose my selected dancers that I wanted to be in the dance number with me. Wow. Like the the five, um, two of them being my nieces, two wow. of my nieces, um, which was cool. Um, which then also, this is just a side note, but it just sucks. Um, my The closing night performance of that dance recital, I was in a lot of pain. My right leg was in so much pain. And so then after this do it for Des number, um, I said to mom, like, we, we have to go to the hospital now because... I don't know what the hell is going on, but I'm in a lot of pain. And so we went to the hospital and um, they discovered that some of the, they figured that, okay, maybe it's the nails in your leg that are um, really hurting you. And so they took the nails out, but then like a week later, I was still, it was still really hurting. So then it ended up, turning out to be that the rod that was in my fib tib of my right leg, the rod was infected. Ew. And so that's why I was in so much pain. So then it ended up just having to be taken out. Um, but that's why I was being such a wuss at the final night of my dance recital because my leg was really, really harmed. <laughs> Um, but you got to dance again, but I got to dance again and it's, yeah, since that, since that, which that's coming up on four years now that I have improved in very large amounts physically. So if I were to get up on the stage once again, it would be a lot different, but so in regards to, but did you dance again? Yes, I have danced again. And then I also had a lovely opportunity, um, not this past summer, but the summer before of 2021, 21, <clears throat> where um, a friend of ours who has known me for forever, she got married and asked if I could choreograph the wedding dance. Yeah. And so that was really, really, really awesome. And I just kept it, the moves simple because it was a bunch of the wedding party was were a bunch of people who didn't have dance backgrounds. And so I kept it really simple. 
And that also turned out to be a really great experience with me learning how to how to work my brain in order to remember because of, yeah, just remembering all of the choreography. Um, it was just the Macarena, wasn't it? Todd, how did you? <laughs> Todd, I didn't tell you that before this. No. I'm such a smart no, That is where the dance world has taken me. But so. I have one more question. What, what gives you the satisfaction that dance once gave you now? Yeah. So for two years after my accident, um, thanks to my hand therapist that I had been given by my law team that I had been assigned, um, she introduced me to macrame. Um, ah. And so I got really into that. And I won't tell you how much I got into it, but like heavy duty. And to the point where it's still like before our call, I was macrame. Well, why and won't so, you tell me how much you've gotten into it? It's well, embarrassing just, or what? <laughs> no, it's just, it's, I have gotten very into it. I have invested a lot of time, my life, my money into macrame. Um, I am quite macrame experienced. Uh, I'm still because, creative. Oh, big time. Big nice. time. Um, okay, hold on. Joe. <laughs> nice (laughs) Um, yeah so my hobby was macrame um but and now um i have got myself a job which i began like two years after the accident and now we're coming up five yeah let's say okay so let's say I, i started this job like around three years after the accident. Um, yeah. And so now when I'm not macrame and my social life has grown tremendously, which I am so thankful for because that was such a dark place for me for so long. But then I also am now working twice a week and that fills my time. And um, I actually make money from it. And it is a job that I it's not a job. Like, it's so fun. It's uh, working with the Down Syndrome community. I had a feeling you were going to say something like that. Something about kids uh, or something. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so, but yeah, so it's working with the Down Syndrome community. And um, yeah, it just kind of happened fluke. One day, um, I went to my mom and I was like, Mom, I think that I have progressed enough that I'm getting bored and so I think that I want to do something and I think I want a job and just knowing my background and just all growing up like that was not I was not interested in working like the only the only reason I loved my job at dance so much was because I love dancing but I was not someone willing to work And so me saying this was just her jaw hit the floor. But um, I said that, you know, I think that I would be interested in working along people who I can somewhat relate to. And so um, we started brainstorming and she mentioned a friend of hers that I have known since I was a kid. And this 
lady works with the Down syndrome community because she adopted a Down syndrome daughter, her Down syndrome daughter. And so we got in touch with this lady and I have been working with them now for years. And it is like, I couldn't believe it after just my first few weeks of working. I couldn't believe how, how now, hold on, let me find the word here. I felt so humbled. I couldn't believe, like I've never felt humble in that way before. And it was just the best thing for me. And so I'm still doing that. I actually, yeah, I came home from work and then macrame a little and then hopped on this call. And it is wonderful. And I feel like I am able to support people who are in this i have been in a similar situation as to what these people go through every single day thank you desiree that was so nice of you it's wonderful to meet you um i'm very glad uh, we met and connected and now we're friends and i love my my plant hanger and uh yeah i'm gonna hang it up this weekend and I, I hope you're enjoying the kids book that's sometimes daddy cries kids book about uh, a young child watching his dad go through depression um yeah hope you're enjoying that now if you're in indian head saskatchewan on january 13th you can see me you can sit in on a live podcast episode where i'm going to be talking to big daddy taz He's a stand-up comedian. I interviewed him in episode 43. Uh, and yeah, we're going to be talking live in front of, uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's the high school kids from town here and uh, anybody else that wants to come by. I'm not sure what time yet, but uh, come on down to that. And on January 25th, uh, I'm going to be speaking at Conexus Art Center in Regina, Saskatchewan. And that's for an event called More Joy Regina. You can just Google that and buy tickets and go to that if you'd like. Don't forget, next week I'm going to be speaking to cool guy and new author, Steve. I almost called him a different name, but it's Steve. Uh, Punk's Not Dead is the name of the book. P-U-N-X. Uh, Punk's Not Dead. Get it on Amazon. Uh, he's also in recovery and we met in treatment. So yeah, you can listen to that next week. Don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram bunny hugs podcast bunny hugs podcast on tiktok and on facebook bunny hugs and mental health and please please rate and review this if you're listening to it on apple it would be very much appreciated and um another thing please make your beds and take your meds bye